What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Two Smart Dummies Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Marcus. And I'm your host, B. Reed. What up, man? Chilling, man. Getting ready for the Red River Rivalry. I'm pretty excited about that. Have you ever gone to one of those games? Nah, I'm not big on going to football games, but I have been to like the events that happen beforehand where you like walk down downtown Dallas and it's all OU Texas. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I went when I lived in Austin uh, a bunch of years ago. I think uh, maybe Colt McCoy was still the quarterback. I believe he was. Um, but man, it's a good time. I, I'm with you. I don't. I don't particularly like going to football games, but uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. So uh, that's what's popping this weekend. Dallas is going to be live. Yeah, yep. It's going to be geared up. Um, how was the weekend? Anything? Anything worth note? Nah, man, nothing spectacular happening. Just watching football like always. What about you? Uh, man, I guess it was perfect because I don't remember shit. That means I didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, Those are the best weekends. Yeah, you know, just kind of hung around, did nothing. Um, did you check out the Ohio State Penn State game? Yeah, man, I did, and I actually full disclosure. Fucking fell asleep because I thought Penn State had the game in the bag. So, with about three minutes left, the last thing I remember is Penn State quarterback driving down the field looking like a young Benny Testaverde, thinking, ah, Penn State got this locked up. I can turn it in early. And woke up to, a, I guess, a spectacular Haskins drive. I don't even know what happened. Man, I tell you what, uh, I was I was actually watching this game at a friend's house, and, um, like, we were, we were sitting on the couch, and there was a few of us over there, and we couldn't believe what happened. But uh, my friend, she noticed. She was like, oh, you called this. So uh, basically what happened, I, I knew Penn State was going to lose when it was uh, it was like fourth and one going into halftime, and they punted the ball. It's fourth and one on like their own 50, or on the 50. Uh, they punted. with It was like 30 seconds left, and instead of just going for it, you know, and, and trying to be aggressive and get in the field goal range, if you get that first down, they decided to punt the ball, and they were only up, I think it was 14-7 at the time. Um, Playing conservative. And I, yeah, and I knew, I knew then, I was like, oh, if that's how, how uh, James Franklin's going to play, they're going to lose. And sure enough, um, the last drive, man, Haskins led a 99-yard drive down the field. I mean, they just marched up and down oh, the field. Oh, man. And it was it was a great ending if you're an Ohio State fan, but if you're a Penn State fan or a college football fan, you really got to be. Hey, if you're a college football fan, you got to be sick, right? Especially if you don't like Ohio State. But a 99 but, yard drive, that's pretty spectacular. Oh, and they did it with ease. They they did it like they're like they were playing against the practice squad or something. Like well, Penn don't State. tell me it came down to like a fourth and one and they punted. Like why? How did Ohio State get the ball? Because when I had it, they were driving down the Penn State was driving down the field with the lead. I want to say they just got conservative. They punted the ball. They did. They punted the ball. And uh, they um, locked uh, Ohio State in the, uh, at the one. Um, and they just drove down the field. Drove down the field. And, and it was like they weren't even there. And this is why you don't go to sleep on college football games because you never know what's going to happen. So well, you- it was only a one-point game at that point, I think. Yeah. Well, I missed that one. I guess I gave Penn State too much credit. But – I mean, their quarterback looked really good, so um, that's why I'm really surprised they lost. Cause I was watching that game, like, man, I like how that how the quarterback controls. You know, I'll always say, if you go conservative, you're gonna lose. When you go conservative against good teams, you're going to lose. Yeah, you can't play not to lose. You always have to play to win. Exactly. With teams with that much talent, the Alabamas, the Ohio States. You know, you really have to step on their throat. Yeah. Because no lead is safe. I mean, you. They, there's just NFL talent on those fields, and if you do that, you're going to lose. How about Washington dominating BYU? Did you see any of that? I didn't watch any of it, but I was actually shocked to see the score. Um, Dom, just dominating. I mean, Washington, with Stanford losing so bad to Notre Dame, Washington is by far the best team in the Pac-12. I don't even think it's close. No, and I, I, I mean, Stanford is obviously the one that always kind of hangs around. But, um, yeah, Washington's the only one I, I ever truly believe in. Stanford hangs around, but 
I, you know, because I picked Washington to get into the playoff. <coughs> but yeah, I, I'm I was not a believer in Stanford, and, and Notre Dame just beat them like like a two dollar hoe. You know, I've actually updated my college football playoff, and you know, instead of a second SEC team in, I think Notre Dame gets in. It's gonna be hard to leave them out, and it's funny because if you would have looked at Notre Dame's schedule, it was already on paper it looked like a brutal schedule, and especially the ending of that schedule because the ending of that schedule was gonna include Virginia Tech, Florida State, and USC, but now it looks like For a real yeah. You know, none of those teams are any good. They end with USC, but USC's no good. And then Syracuse you, is probably more more of a chance to win than USC or Florida State. That's probably a tougher game than USC and Florida State. Yeah, Virginia Tech may throw a monkey wrench in there, but you, you you never know. I still think. I mean, yeah. I mean, Notre Dame. I think. I still think two SEC teams get in, and I think that Clemson. I think Clemson slips up at some point. They just have not looked good. They haven't looked good. And just like you and I talked about last week, Trevor Lawrence got hurt. Yep. And we, we don't know the severity of that injury. Well, they and say he'll play this week. He had a – it was a neck injury. It wasn't like a knee or an ankle. So, he's he's supposed to be good to go. But, I mean, even when he was out there, they didn't look great. So, I mean, it's one thing to, like, I always say you have to be cautious of that shiny new toy. You know, when he's getting in, splitting carries, and you always have the luxury of setting him down when you have that bad series. Now when you're just rolling with Trevor Lawrence, how do they react to any type of adversity? Like, is he gonna, going to be able to get over that? So, I mean, they still they have a pretty light schedule, but they're playing against talent. I mean, when you play against Florida State and all those teams, they may not be good, but they're talented. So it's still dangerous. But I don't see how you leave Notre Dame out because Notre Dame – has some impressive wins already. They got Stanford, Vandy, Michigan. I mean, maybe not Vandy, but they've already beat Stanford and Michigan. If they beat Virginia Tech, that's another ranked team. They're going to finish out playing Florida State, Syracuse, and USC. If they go undefeated, you know Notre Dame's getting in. So Yeah, t- too much money for them not to uh, not to make it in there. And I don't really see anybody beating them. I mean, if, if they beat Virginia Tech and they – I mean, it's not a fluke. They look impressive when they're playing. This looks like a very good Notre Dame team. They could be dangerous. I mean, they did. They just dominated Notre or uh, Stanford. They like, I mean, t- teams typically don't beat Stanford in the way that Stanford was beat. Exactly. Um, you usually have to really, uh, you know, to, to lose by twenty-one. That's just very un-Stanford like. So yeah, I mean, they they definitely looked very impressive. So I think if I had to pick a four, I'm going OU, uh, Washington, Bama, Notre Dame. That's my four right now. Because I mean, I I mean, even if it's close. I mean, I just see it. It's hard to leave Notre Dame out. If you got Notre Dame and Clemson, say all, say you get five undefeated teams, right? I didn't even mention Ohio State, did I? That's what I was going to say. I don't know how you got OU over Ohio State right oh, now. OU's definitely going to get in over Ohio State. Not, I don't th- If all things are equal and they're both undefeated, I think Ohio State gets I'm gonna in. I'm going to tell you why OU. Um, I was going to talk about this with the Rail River rivalry, but the Big 12 is super unique, and they did this because they didn't go to 12 teams. They stayed at 10 teams. But the Big 12 is the only league in which you play every team in the league and you have to play the best team in the, the second best team in the league twice. So when OU, OU is going to play everybody in the Big 12 and whoever's second, whether it's Texas or West Virginia, if their only loss is the OU, OU has to play them a second time in the Big 12 championship. What you've been seeing is they have to play TCU twice. But that's what boosts them into the playoffs every time when they have one loss because they'll beat TCU or they'll lose to TCU, and then they get to play TCU again. If you go undefeated and you beat the second-best team in your conference a second time that's probably ranked, you're going to get in. That, that's just strength. The strength of schedule is way too, too strong. Washington um, would get left out before OU would get left out. Oh, I don't, I don't see a scenario where a Pac-12 team gets in. Um, I think that it's going to come down to two SEC teams. Depend, I mean, well, I mean, most likely you're not going to get two undefeated SEC teams because they all play each other. So I guess it's going to come down to Alabama or LSU, and then it's going to come down to, um, I think. What about Georgia? Stanford. You don't think Georgia can run through them? 
Oh yeah, I forgot I forgot about the East. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I still think if if you get two undefeated SEC teams, there there's two undefeated SEC teams that are going to be in. Well, you're not going to um, get it. They still have to meet up. Oh, they have to play in yeah. the. And you're right. So so if you get so that's why I don't think two SEC teams can get in because one SEC team is going to have a. I mean, all the SEC teams are going to have a loss. Maybe one doesn't. So say you get an undefeated Bama and a one-loss Georgia team. That one-loss Georgia team could potentially be looking at an undefeated Clemson team, an undefeated OU team, an undefeated Ohio State team, an undefeated Notre Dame team, an undefeated Washington team. This can get crazy at the end of the year. You can Washington have... lost, though. Oh, yeah, Washington does. Damn. That's why I said Shit. I don't see a scenario yeah, where right. a Pac-12 team gets in. They, they lost to... Uh... Damn, the Pac-12. Yeah, I guess I got to remove Washington because the Pac-12 could be screwed with Notre Dame playing well because an undefeated Notre Dame gets in over a Pac-12 team. So I guess you go, you would have to go at Notre Dame, Ohio State, OU, and um, Bama. Yeah, I think Clemson is the odd man out. I really do. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, as long as I'm OU not shedding any tears for them. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care. <laughs> Uh, what about Kentucky, man? I've been watching um, some of my underrated teams, but I've been watching Kentucky, and Kentucky's been rolling. I, they're going way under the radar. But Kentucky is playing some very good football. Do you believe that they can knock off some of the powerhouses? They beat Mississippi State, a ranked team, and they wasn't supposed to. Well, and they beat the hell out of South Carolina, who yeah. is supposedly the, the best team in the SEC East, not named Georgia. So, um, I, I don't know what to make of Kentucky. I think they're a good team. They're obviously well coached. Do I think they? I mean, I think that they can be the sec. I think they can be the second best team in the East. But I don't know how that would hang with a with an Alabama with a with a LSU or an Auburn. I don't. I don't know that they can do that. Uh, All I'm saying is quietly kept. Uh, Florida State's defense had defense hasn't been the same since Mark Stoops left. So Mark Stoops is on to something. And he's finally got his recruiting class rolling. He got his players in there. He got his system rolling. And, I mean, they look good. They're not barely winning against these teams either. They're kind well, the of dominating. That, that they could sneak around, you know, we're not talking about playoffs for them, obviously, but, you know, make it to a really good bowl game. The, the only team that they have to play from the West is uh, Texas A&M, and Texas A&M isn't any good. Well, they play so, Mississippi State. They're in the West. No, I meant moving forward. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, moving forward, basically they they only have Texas A and M, um, and then a hard game against Georgia. Other than that, I mean the the the, I don't know if they go undefeated. I think Georgia beats them, but they could set up very well to be a one loss team if they stay healthy. Shit, a one loss Kentucky team. Do you know how great that would be for the? Never never heard of that. Man, man that would be so exciting to have it. Even a two loss Kentucky team is absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see two losses on their schedule, though. I really don't. Georgia. Well, I mean, like you got to you got to give Missouri a little bit more credit. They can be a, a hard team to guard just because of the passing game that they have and their quarterback's a veteran. So, um, have they, they? I don't think they played Florida. They beat Florida, didn't they? Yeah. They beat Florida. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then yeah. they've got they've got Tennessee, who I think Tennessee could be bright down the road, but they're a mess right now. Um, you know, Louisville at the end could be a tough game. Um, so I, I mean I, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost some games, but there's no there's I'm no a, game I'm only no team Georgia. that looks scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because Texas A&M didn't look too hot last week against Arkansas, but Arkansas does seem to play well in Dallas, but still they didn't put up enough points. I mean, if North Texas can put up thirty plus points and you know Texas A&M struggles, I think uh, what's his name Mounds is that his name? The quarterback. Yeah, I think he's yeah. he's he's starting to struggle a bit. He played good the first game. I don't know if people are getting film on him or what, but he's starting to struggle a lot. So, uh, yeah, but man, that's really the only games that really stood out to me. I mean, West Virginia's still rolling under the radar, fattening themselves up for OU. Um, but I'm really excited about the Red River rivalry, man. Um, what what you think about that game? You know, at the beginning of the year, I would have said that this game means nothing because Texas is no good. But Texas has really come on over the last couple of, uh, a couple of weeks. So um, I still think Oklahoma's a better team, although Oklahoma's schedule has been toilet paper soft up to this point. So um, I think I'm interested to see how this is going to go. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, I thought that Texas was going to be a cakewalk at the beginning of the year, kind of like you, especially when they lost to Maryland. I thought they would be a cakewalk, but they're starting to turn it on. They're starting to find their rhythm. So with those receivers, they could cause a problem for Oklahoma. Now, you said their schedule is light, but, I mean, when you schedule those games ahead of time, we thought Florida Atlantic might be a decent non-conference matchup. It wasn't. UCLA is supposed to be traditionally better. They weren't. Army gave us a touch, tough matchup by playing a tough game. But overall, you can only play who's in front of you. But Kyler Murray's looked real good. If you give him the ball multiple times, he's going to be hard to stop. So I really don't think Texas can stop OU. But with those receivers, they can potentially score. I just don't know if Texas can score 50. And I know that OU can. So that would be the one thing I'm looking at. And that's probably what they're going to have to do to win that game, uh, in my opinion. I, I'm looking the game I'm looking forward to is, is Notre Dame Virginia Tech. Um, you know, Virginia Tech had a hiccup a couple weeks ago against um, who was that that they lost to? Uh, I don't know. It was some smaller school though, wasn't? Ah, uh, yeah, it was. It was. I can't think of who it was, but they they had a hiccup. And um, but I still think that's a good team. I think Justin Fuente is a a, a great coach. And I think that, you know, they're going to be able to test Notre Dame. And we'll see if Notre Dame really is for real. Well, the one thing that um, I said about Virginia Tech early when they had that big win uh, against Florida State, they beat Florida State early, right? Yep. Yeah, the one thing I said about them is that they're young. They look really young and young energy. So they were susceptible to get beat. And that's why I don't think they'll beat Virginia Tech. But they could, they probably will get, I mean, that's why I don't think they'll beat Notre Dame. I think they give Notre Dame a challenge. Just for the simple fact, when you're young, you just come in there and, you know, it's going to be a lot of energy on that field. But Notre Dame looks really balanced. And Virginia Tech doesn't look balanced. They just look like they're fast. They have a lot of talent. But I don't think that they're at the level of a Notre Dame right now. So I think Notre Dame will win that game pretty easily. I don't think it'll be a knock on Notre Dame, but the one thing that tells me is if Virginia, Tech's ma- Virginia Tech matches up against Clemson, they could be a real problem for Clemson because they're just as fast as Clemson. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think it should be a, an exciting week for, for some of these games. So uh, you guys got something to look forward to this week on Saturday. Uh, let's talk about the NFL a little bit. Um, Baker Mayfield got his first start against the Oakland Raiders. Um, you had a first-hand view of that. His, I did, yeah. I noticed that his first ever career touchdown went to an Oakland Raider <laughs> on a pick six. So, uh, Gary on Conley uh, kept that game ball, I hope. Uh, but That's uh, kind of skewed, though. That wasn't really his fault. His, his receivers started off that game playing very shitty. I believe that interception was on a tip ball. So, his receivers didn't do him any favors. I actually thought that, I mean, and I thought this was a really good game. I, I thought that, um, you know, originally Sunday I thought there were no good games. Uh, I, I know we had a lot that went to overtime, but I didn't think the Colts-Texans game was a good game. I just think it was a, it was an ugly game. Um, but the, the Raiders game was actually a, a really good game. Uh, went back and forth, and a lot of people will talk about how, you know, the the refs screwed the Browns, but I don't think they did. They were up eight points with a minute to go, um, and the Browns should have won that game. And there were bad calls all around. But I will say this. Baker Mayfield's truth. He looks good. I'm going to need you to stop right now and give Derek Carr some respect, buddy. You've been pretty hard on him. He didn't look like dink and dunk back, um, Derek Carr this weekend. You're going to give him some respect. That's a pretty good Browns defense. That Browns defense has contained Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, so it's not like we just said, oh, this is the Browns, because they've had some good competition to get some good quarterbacks. And Derek Carr played a really good game against them. You go give him some respect. Carr looked better than he has been. He's He oh. looks like he's settling down in Gruden's system. I'm not willing to anoint him yet because there have been times, like the, the, the interceptions that he threw in that game were still awful, awful decisions. He's a gunslinger. Oakland should have lost that game. I, like I mean that that's what it comes down to. But Derek Carr, as I said, people don't watch it. They'll 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 look at the stats or whatever. Derek Carr has not been great this year. He's been efficient because he dinks and dunks, but his picks have been god awful and frustrating. Um, but I will say it does look like he's starting to get comfortable in in John Gruden's system. And Gruden even said as much after the game. He's like, "Look, man, 
This is his first year in this system. And Derek Carr has had a lot of coaches, a lot of offensive coordinators in the five years he's, he's been and in the league. Injuries. So, and some injuries. So, you know, I, I Carr pisses me off every single week. Every single week he does. But there was a glimpse of 2016 Derek Carr in this uh, in this game against the Browns. So it was good to see. Yeah, I just think you're too hard on him. I mean, it's hard to find a starting quarterback in the NFL. So, I mean, if you got one that you know when he's good, he can take you to the playoffs. Every quarterback is bad. Big Ben has, can be bad three years in a row and then take you to a playoff. So I think you got to respect it when you have a starting caliber quarterback. I just think it's funny that, uh, you know, people look at the Raiders record, they're one and three, or the Browns record um, is one, two, and one. And both of these teams could really be three and one. Um, you know, Oakland has their fourth quarter meltdowns, but they've been in every single game that they've they've played this year. And then the Browns, as you said, um, really did. I mean, they should have beat the Steelers, probably should have beat uh, New Orleans. I mean, Plan. you know, that playing not to lose coach playing is yeah. safe playing Tyrod Taylor because he doesn't turn over the ball if a quarterback can give me 40 points on the board and I'll take a couple of turnovers I mean that's gonna happen but when you play not to lose we talked about this in, in the college football segment any coach that plays not to lose deserves to lose you have to play to win you have to stay aggressive but maybe you don't have to be as aggressive as the Colts coach Frank Reich sometimes you do got to just make the smart decision Did you see that play I, you know, the Raiders game had started, uh, so I wasn't watching. I saw that the Texans, that game was looking like it was going to tie, and then the Texans kind of took it down and kicked the game with a field goal. Yeah, you know, Frank Wright is from the, the Eagles tree. He was on the Eagles championship team last year, an offensive coordinator, even though there are some questions of how, many, how much he was a part of the play calling. But basically, they got the ball back with about a, a minute, maybe a minute and 30 seconds in overtime. They couldn't really move. They got stopped at around the 40. It was fourth and four. Instead of punting the ball and kind of playing just for the tie, they decided to go for it. Now, I'm not going to really, because I say you got to play to win. So I'm, I'm with that. If you're going to play to win, then be aggressive. Make the play. They went on some weak-ass comeback route to, like, Chester Rogers. So... This is the same thing I said about when Seattle made that slant pass in the Super Bowl. If you have an A.J. Green, if you have a Megatron, and a Rant, you know, if you have a big play wide receiver, then I'm okay with making that call. You don't make it to a dude like Chester Rogers or one of these off-brand receivers. You got to have a go-to guy. And if you don't, then go big. I'd play action it, throw it deep. And then even if it gets picked off, I mean, yeah, they could bat it down, but some of those um, cornerbacks back there are playing for stats. If he catches that ball, it's like a punt. But a comeback yeah. route and you throw it low, it was just a I, – I don't really dislike the call. I dislike the play. You need to be more aggressive if you're going to be aggressive. So uh, Mitchell Trubisky looked like uh, John Elway or something out there this weekend. I mean, threw for five – Five or, was it six touchdowns? Yeah, it was six touch. Now two six of those touchdowns. touchdowns, I don't know. They need to change that rule. Two of those touchdowns was basically a handoff, but because he didn't hand it and he kind of shoveled the it shovel a little pass. bit in front of him, it's essentially a pitch that's six inches. You got That's not a pass. So two of those touchdowns need to have an asterisk by them because they're basically handoff plays to Taylor Gabriel on the goal line. But statistically, he threw for six touchdowns. He played a good game, and that's what. Nagy's offense can be if Trubisky will just trust it. But that's the difference between uh, a Trubisky, uh, Alex Smith, and a Patrick Mahomes. Because Patrick Mahomes is playing the same system that Trubisky and Alex Smith plays. He just makes it look so much better. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, after I, I was already a believer, but after watching Monday night, I... That dude is incredible. Yeah. He is incredible. That play where he was getting sacked by Von Miller and he threw it with his left hand, incredible. He's a star. I, he, I mean, he does remind me of Brett Favre a lot. The arm, the risk, the gunslinger mentality. I, he seems more accurate, but it's it's insane. Man, there's not a lot of QBs that have made me say, "Wow!" Like, how did he make that play? Brett Favre has always been one of them, and. You know, now I'm starting to look at Mahomes, and I'm just like, wow. And I've got to look at this fool twice a year <laughs> when they play the Raiders, which is terrifying. Yeah, you know, 
my questions about Mahomes because I saw Alex Smith do the same thing last year. You know, tear it up for three or four games, and then people figure out the game plan, take away Tyreek Hill, stop the running game, and you know, make them force it underneath, dink and dunk, and you can kind of shut that offense down. But Mahomes has proven that he doesn't need one weapon. He sees the whole field. It's not just, hey, I'm looking for Tariq Hill like Alex Smith was. It's not, hey, I'm just going to dink it down to Kels when it's not there. It's more than two options, and people are seeing that now. Um, the game before, he what, Conley, Watkins, everybody was scoring out there. He sees the whole field. He is a, he's a danger, and that's a lot what you saw at Texas Tech. He's not a, just a system quarterback. He can he, That guy's a player. And he's going to be a terror in the NFL. He could get Andy Reid out the second round. Andy Reid only gets out of the second round, well, out of the first round, depending on where if he gets the bye or not. But he only makes it more than one round when he has a dynamic quarterback. This is his Donovan McNabb. The Chiefs are dangerous. They're a threat. So would you say that the Chiefs, are? do you buy them as contenders? I definitely buy the Chiefs as contenders with that because there's so much balance on that team. The only thing that can be their downfall is the defense. But that thing, defense is an atrocity. See, I don't think the defense is bad. It's one of those things where the offense scores so quick that the defense is on the field a lot. So you hear them saying this is the worst defense in the league. Well, look how fast they're scoring. They're probably on the field longer than any defense also. Just tired. Yeah, I mean, if you give if you give a fresh D forward out there and a Justin Houston, I mean, that's a good defense. But if you're on the field like every two minutes – that defense is gonna get fatigued, so I mean they, they they're gonna have to take they're gonna have to learn to take their foot off the pedal some. You know, even though you can score in two plays, sometimes it's better to give your defense a break and run the ball, run the ball. You know, couple of long drives to give your defense a break so they can get out there and play defense. If you're just that would be their downfall in the playoffs. So, all right, man, we talk about contenders um, as we look around the league. It, this is a weird year because it seems like everyone's about even, and the only two undefeated teams in the league are the Rams and the Chiefs, who I think are both serious, serious players. But as we, we kind of jump around, you look at teams like the New Orleans Saints, you look at the Bears, you look at um, the Redskins who are leading the NFC East, um, the Titans, you look at the Bengals, and then you look at the Dolphins who are all 3-1. and one. Of, and the the Baltimore Ravens also three and one. Let's not forget about them. Um, how many of those teams would you say you are confident could make some noise in the playoffs? Um, I like the Titans. I think the Titans are legit. If Marcus Mariota can look like he did on Sunday, and not just it's not just pure passing, it's make, making the plays, using your legs when it's convenient. You know, being smart. If you he can be that Marcus Mariota then that Titans is a contender because that defense is legit. That defense is very good. Yeah, yeah. that defense is really good. With the addition of Malcolm Butler and that secondary, um, they're a really good defense. So if the play calling can play to their strength, I think that that is a legit contending team. Um, I also like the um, – shoot, who's the other team? Uh, Ravens. I, I like the Ravens. I think with C.J. Mosley back – in the security blanket. I think they have a lot of weapons for Joe Flacco to choose from, and John Brown has been spectacular. Uh, other than that, I'm not really believing in these other teams. I mean, I I was looking, and I was like looking at Minnesota get demolished by the Rams and just thinking, is there any is there such thing as a good defense? Because that game turned into a shootout. They're supposed to be two of the best defenses in the league, and it was a shootout. And it's, I don't just don't know if there's actually a great defense in the NFL anymore. It's just hard to cover these guys yeah i was gonna say i mean it's just hard to play defense in the nfl i mean and you have to think that even when you play great defense you get some kind of garbage penalty that is just that's the real issue i mean the nfl has reached its goal of having high-powered offenses but what about the defense man it's like you look at some of these rough in the passer penalties i mean there was one in the raiders browns game that was seriously a complete joke i mean clay matthews has had two form tackles on quarterbacks this year that have gotten called for roughing the passers i mean that has cost them games you know minnesota could easily be one and three right now um if it weren't for clay matthews being flagged for doing the right thing but yeah i mean you look at teams that that supposedly have a good defense and you know the the browns they they've put up 
they let the Raiders put up 40-something points. Um, same thing with the Rams. Same thing with the Vikings. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what you're starting to see, that defense has gone way by the wayside compared to how high-powered these offenses are now. Yeah, you want to see points on the board. I agree with that. But, man, like you said, those rough in the passer calls, we didn't talk about it last week, but, you know, they actually had a conference that shows these refs. Like, all these aren't rough in the passer calls. But if I'm a defensive pass rusher, hell, how do you hit the quarterback? You can't go low or it's a penalty. You can't go high, it's a penalty. You can hit in the men's midsection and do a perfect form tackle, but God forbid you lay on them, that's <laughs> a penalty. Like, well, you, you literally got to sling. I'm seeing, like, defenders, like, sling these quarterbacks to the ground. But then when you do that and they escape to make an 80-yard play, you're like, oh, you got to wrap them up. Like, mm-hmm. man, it's, it's, it's nuts. Um, Arden Key hit uh, uh, Baker Mayfield. He jumped. Baker Mayfield threw the ball. Arden Key came down and uh, like basically chest bumped Baker Mayfield. Didn't hit him in the head. Didn't even knock him to the ground. And they were in the middle of dapping each other up. The ref threw a flag, and it was a roughing the penalty pass. I mean, it, it roughing the, the quarterback penalty. It was unreal. Unreal. And you're starting to see that way too often. Honestly, I think the NFL is the dumbest league out there. I really do. Because they do everything they can to shoot themselves in the foot week in and week out. And one, and this is the latest reason. I mean, you look at these these flags. These flags are costing people games. Yeah, but they, like, know, they know people will pay for it. That's what happened when you get so arrogant that you know that everyone loves, the fo- everyone loves football. Everyone's going to watch it. You think you're untouchable. You think you're Teflon. And right now... I can't disagree with them. They say ratings are going down, but that's in comparison to one of the highest marks of ratings that they've had. In comparison to other years, their ratings are sky high right now. So at, at some point, as long as they keep putting out whatever product they want and we keep watching it, it's not going to change. The fact is, people love offense. They love offense. As much as we can look at our teams and be like, man, it sucks. People love points on the board. Nobody wants to see the 6-6 the AFC North tough matchup. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to see that anymore. That Raiders game, that 45-42 game going back and forth gunslinging, that Vikings game on Thursday night game, they love that. That's spectacular. Vikings, Rams going down to the end, touchdown after touchdown, that's what they want. That's what sells. So we can talk about all day that, you know, it's a bad product and it's bad officiating, but the NFL is loving it. And they're going to make another rule next year to put more of it on the board. At some point, these are going to start looking like college basketball scores. Shit, they already do. Yeah, I mean, you're not kidding. I mean, yeah, you or you looking at some of these, you know, these whack Mac scores that are just yeah, straight up gun, gun, gunslinging shootouts. Um, yeah, I mean, you even look at a, a, a Jacksonville Jaguars defense that is you know really really good, and they even look mediocre this year. So now I will ask you, Jacksonville Jaguars contenders or pretenders? Man, honestly, I got it. I'm gonna say that they're pretenders, bro. I That's think how I feel contenders. about them. I think they're contenders, and they're doing this without Fournette. Like we talked about early in the year, Fournette has missed, and that offense looks a lot better. When I you, was going to say that. I think they look better without Fournette. Not saying they can't use him, yeah. but they. I think they look better without him. I see you're gonna. I think you're gonna see his snaps be a little bit limited. I, Blake Bortles has given them enough confidence to say that hey, we don't need to pound the ball. If they play a New England again, I think they'll have more confidence in him to throw the ball a little bit more. And even though he's going to make some mistakes, and that's one thing I say about quarterbacks, you have to live with those picks. You can't overreact every time your quarterback throws a bad pick. It's going to happen. But if you have confidence in your confidence in your quarterback, they can win games for you. I believe that Blake Bortles would have beat the Patriots last year if they would have just had confidence in him in the second half and threw the ball around. But with their speed, you know it's coming. You know those crossing routes are coming. But it's hard as fuck to stop those crossing routes when they come. And that's all they're doing. All they're running is crossing routes, deep crossing routes, deep posts, and then throwing it to those backs out of the backfield. I love that offense and that defense. You know what it can do. So, I mean, I really like the Jaguars. I think they're contenders, and I believe in Blake Bortles. He's had, what, consecutive 4,000-yard seasons? Mm-hmm. Uh, he always throws for some yards now. I mean, a lot of that's because they were down in garbage time most of the year. But uh, uh, Here we go with the Blake Bortles hate. Hey, I'm just I'm just 
Stating facts. The best I know value know. quarterback in the NBA, in the NFL. I dare you disprove me. Who's better value than Blake Bortles in the NFL? I know, I know you're not interested in facts, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying for the value that he's getting on his contract, I guarantee you can't. Well, find he's me the a only one value. from that class that got it. That got a second, um, a, the only top five pick from his class that got a second contract. That's an accomplishment so. in itself. The best, uh, the best player in your draft class, Blake Bortles. Give that man some respect. Better than Khalil Mack, I guess, but, you know, whatever. No, nah, I mean, he's a mutant. He doesn't count. He's not uh, even from this planet. Let's get to – oh, as someone who was not a Khalil Mack believer when the season no. started, he said he was just all right. Yeah, I did say that. He's proven I me wrong. I still wouldn't have paid Khalil Mack is a freak. I wouldn't have paid him. He had a, a four-sack fumble every game this season. I mean, that dude is – a. and now that he's got an even better defense behind – that's one thing I want to touch on before we move on. The Bears' defense – it's for real. Like if yeah, it, all it all of that offense has to do is maintain, but there are playmakers all over that defense, and that's why you're starting to see the real Khalil Mack. You can't double team him. That dude can, and even if you do, he's getting through. You're starting to really see Khalil Mack. Uh, you know. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely unleashed. They they yeah. definitely unleashed him because with Akeem Hicks getting that pressure up the middle, and who's a dominant force in himself. So you have him, you have two linebackers behind him in Roquan, and you have, uh, Tra- what is it, Trevathan? Danny Trevathan, yep. And uh, who's the pass rusher on the outside? There's another. Shelton. Shelton. So, so that that defense really unleashed him. I think that defense is legit, but the problem is, until Trubisky proves that he can consistently do that, especially against a team not named the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which has always been a train wreck, I just can't believe in the Bears. If they can put any type of consistent offense together – and I think Nagy may have started to settle in. Before in the games, what I see is he's just doing too much tricky shit. Too much shit going on, especially for a second-year second quarterback. You can't have all these shifts and motions and people going, and he can't read the field that fast. That's the problem with Trubisky. It's so many things going on, he gets lost in, and he just runs the ball. But there's people open everywhere. No doubt. Oh, yeah, wide open. I mean, as open as hell. I mean, you couldn't be more open than some of these plays I've been watching. Um, all right, man. Let's get to the meat and potatoes, uh, or the dessert, as I like to call it. We got hot. We got hockey season kicking off tonight. You interested? Ooh. Of course. You know I'm a big hockey fan. We got. Can you name six teams in, in the in the National Hockey League? Hmm. <laughs> I can name the cities, but I'll start fucking up if it comes to the mascots. <laughs> All right. Well, we got six cities that it's in. We got, uh, well, that ain't hard to do. Nashville Predators. There you go. That's right. That's right. LA Kings. Are they still there? You got it. Four more. Yeah. We, can you get four more? Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. All right. Three more. Uh, shit, is it Philadelphia Fanatics or some shit? Yeah, that ain't it, boss. Nope. <laughs> Oh, there you go. That's the list. <laughs> Not even the Dallas Stars, <laughs> nothing. Nah, uh, I'm well, you got out. Major League Baseball playoffs tonight. Any interest there? I lightly watch it. I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not totally committed, but you know, I peek in. Games are just so long. I give you that, and it's wild cards, one and done. It's kind of the fake playoffs. Fake the real playoffs start tomorrow. Uh, but I'll start watching as it goes. I mean, it's something to watch. I'll click on and watch it um, just so I'll know what's going on in the World Series. Let's talk NBA, man. LeBron James in a Lakers jersey. Um, Disgusting. It's crazy and to he's see. number 23. Like, this dude's all over the place. He's practicing in number six. And Ain't that Lance, Lance number Stevenson number? How are you going to practice a dude who's on the team wearing that number's number? Because <laughs> he, he doesn't respect Lance Stevenson. <laughs> we all know that. He practices in that dude's number. <laughs> Hey Lance, <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'm six this today. This is my note. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, boss. Like, I mean, what, what do you say? Uh, He's not gonna say no. I can guarantee you that. He shipped out of there so fast. <laughs> his ass will be in Cleveland. Nah, nah. You know when LeBron sends you somewhere as punishment, you're going to the Kings. <laughs> you out. It's over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man. All right. We got some preseason games. Um. Anything stuck out to you? One thing I want to say is Markel Fultz looks like an NBA player again. You know, I always believed in Markel. And, you know, one thing I tell people about guards, 
sometimes guards, especially point guards, take two or three years. Everybody wants him to come out and be Russell Westbrook. But remember, during the first three years of Russell Westbrook's career, he was scrutinized even for making the right plays. That little free throw line shot that now he's perfected and made him dominant, when he would do that, oh, give Kevin Durant the ball. Why are you shooting it? He shoots too much. So you have to let guards develop. I still believe in Fultz. I think his confidence was down. But he, luckily, he went to Philadelphia, a team that does, that believes in giving all their rookies a redshirt year, which may become the new thing because it's kind of been working for him. But I believe in Fultz. His shot looks better. He's quick. He's a playmaker. And I want to see him start next to Ben Simmons in the season. I think, that's, I think that would change the dynamic of that team. Well, I definitely agree with you. I'll tell this quick story that um, when I lived in Memphis, I was working at a movie theater, and um, the trade deadline had just passed, and, and it was, I think, Mike Conley's um, third year in the league, and the trade deadline just passed, and he came into the theater, he and his uh, lovely wife, Mary, and I looked at him, and I went, oh, in my head, I was like, damn, you're still here? <laughs> Everybody was, was saying... Mike Conley's terrible. They should trade him. I remember and that. And sure enough, Mike Conley, year four, really the last half of the year and then into year four, just took off and became, you know, one of the most underrated point guards in the league. Yep, just like Chauncey Billups, Kyle Larry. I mean, you can go through a long list of point guards that it just takes time because they have more responsibility than any other player. You can come in as a scoring shooting guard and just come in and score and shoot and then add to your game, but you're still putting up points. Well, everybody hated Every Rondo position. his first few years. They were they thought he was the weak link on that uh, on that championship team. And then you turn it turns out that he was the glue of the team, and that's what you got to kind of do. So I believe in Fultz. I like Fultz. I think Fultz's game has looked really good, and I'm proud of the kid. What do you think of that Lakers scene? That little preseason game. Did you have any takeaways from that Lakers Denver game? Man, I don't know what to make of the Lakers. <laughs> uh, a friend of ours said that they're all seven feet, 160, 160 pounds, <laughs> um, which, yeah. I mean, it kind of looks like that. Yeah, but they uh, are. I mean, he has a point, except for LeBron, yeah. but probably why they're going to have him playing center. <laughs> he said they're all seven-foot dudes who are 160 pounds. But, you know, I think – I really think that um, – I don't know what to make of this team yet, but I think that Brandon Ingram is going to – take off this year i think he's gonna have a fantastic year because they're not going to depend on him as much as they that, to be that guy that they that they needed him to be lebron kind of takes that off of him a little bit and i think that you're really going to see him shine as when he's not the number one option yeah and i think he's gonna have to he's gonna have to take advantage of that one-on-one coverage with lebron drawing all the attention because the two things that stood out to me about that lakers team is number one they can't hit any threes they do not have any three no, can't shoot, shoot. three point shooters. I mean, they have Catavius, Cobwell, Pope, um, Kuzma. At best. Yeah, I mean, you're depending on Kuzma to knock down outside shots, which he can, but he's not a Kyle Corver. So they're going to struggle with that. But the second biggest thing, they can't defend the three. Nope. <laughs> I mean, so they can't hit the three and they can't defend the three. I remember looking at that game with all the excitement, and as soon as LeBron went out, Denver went on a 20 to 5 run. Yes, it's preseason. You know, that was early in the first quarter. So it shows me that LeBron's going to have the same problem that he's always had with any other team. At his age, he's going to have to play massive minutes because once he goes out of the game, there's a massive drop-off. That's the same team from last year. And that works in the East where you can build up leads or, oh, I'm LeBron, I can come back and I can come back against Toronto. But even teams like Denver, those are high-powered offense. You go out, you can come back in down 18. So I, I just don't know what they're going to do about that well i before we get too carried away i do want to see because lonzo ball hasn't played i want to see how lonzo fits into that offense and you know because lonzo is actually a good defender people don't give him credit for that but he is a good defender um so i want to see what they look like with lonzo um and and with rondo and i I just want to see how the whole dynamic is going to work so i'm not ready to make any hard stands on the lakers yet because I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. And I really I think this could bring out the best of Luke Walton if, and we'll see if he's really a good coach or not. Yeah, I mean, I know they're trying to institute the ball movement, swing the ball, move the ball around. But until you have people, that Golden State shit they run only works because there's so many shooters outside. In the NBA, if you don't have shooters, you're in trouble. There's not too many teams 
that can function without shooters. And LeBron learned this in Cleveland, too. That's why they went out and got Kyle Korver, um, J.R. Smith, and players like that. When they had Deion Waiters and <laughs> those guys, I mean, it didn't work. He has to have shooters around him, and either they're going to make shots or they're going to have to make a trade to trade some of that young talent to go get some. Now, I believe Magic Johnson and them will make the necessary moves if they need to. They'll trade some of those young players in order to get shooters around LeBron because LeBron will demand it. I'm just saying people need to kind of hold their horses on the expectations that they have for the Lakers because as of right now, I still see them as a 7-8 seed, and they're fighting for that. Mm, I I put it more about the fourth, nah, fifth, fifth or sixth seed. Four through six, that's where I'd put the, the Lakers at. Bro, when, last when, year spots three through like nine or ten was separated by two games. Like Portland was the third seed but only by two games to, like, the 10th seed. So it's a battle out there, man. Oh, every week. But when you have yeah, the best player on the planet, that changes yeah. things for you. So, But we'll see We'll see how yeah, it goes. got Anthony Davis. Oh, is that the best player on the planet? <laughs> for another time. Uh, it, it, one day. Um, <laughs> are there any players that you're really looking forward to watching? I, I've been on this guy for a long time. Uh, I was hoping my team drafted him, but... I really want to see Luka Doncic, man. I mean, he's looked good so far in the in the couple preseason games that they've played, but I just think that dude's exciting. Yeah, I like him, but I mean, like any international players, I have questions. Oh, about we're his all foot skeptical, speed. no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I have questions about his foot speed. I think, I mean, what I've seen, what I saw from him, I mean, it looks like he's legit. It looks like he's a playmaker, but until I see him in the thick of things, where it's you know, forty eight minutes of hardcore defense, people are focusing in on you, then I just I have to be skeptical, but he looks like he's a good player. I'm, I'm going to tell you another kid that people had real doubts about. I really like what I saw from Trey Young. Now, you know Trey Young is going to shoot bad. People don't pay attention to field goal percentages. So he's going to struggle with his shooting just because he takes bad shots. He's small, a bunch of different things. But that dude is a pure passer. I don't know if people saw him in college. He can pass right hand. He can pass left hand. He can handle the ball. So in that preseason game, I think he came away with about eight assists. So even though he didn't shoot great, if his scoring catches up to his passing, he is going to be a legit point guard. You know who, uh, I, I know this may be crazy, uh, but I say crazy shit. So <laughs> people were comparing him to Steph Curry. Obviously, you know, he's light-skinned, he can shoot, whatever. Um, oh, but That's all you really need. Yeah, but the thing that I saw, like you watching these games, is that A, he's going to be an inefficient scorer but he can handle and he can pass. He reminded me of a of a better passing or maybe I'll say more willing passer, but he reminded me a lot of Allen Iverson. Um, it just, I wouldn't go there. just in terms of the way they play, like he's probably going to end up being a, a two guard in no. a point guard's body, but no. he's just a more willing passer. Iverson's never passed as well as Trey Young. And Trey Young will never be able to score as well as Iverson. Iverson came out his rookie year and broke the record for consecutive forty-point games. So you have to be careful when. You oh, I don't mean the volume. I just like mean that. in terms of what kind of player. Like, yeah, this dude's gonna put up. If he takes twenty-seven shots, he's only gonna hit nine of them. You know what I mean? Because Allen Iverson, I don't care what y'all say about him, he could score with the best of them. But that dude, I think his career—he's like a forty-two percent field goal shooter. It's awful. Hey. But you got to go back and look at the NBA back then. 42% was pretty decent. I mean, people weren't shooting like they're shooting now. Steve Nash was the, you know, he brought in a new era of shooting that people are, and Kevin Durant, that's a new level of efficiency. Like they had a they had an epiphany, like, wait, maybe these dudes should make more shots. Like, I don't have to shoot it 36 times to hit 12 shots? And it's, like, it's fun because you, you really don't have players that want to do that anymore. I mean, who was it the other day or a couple years ago who said nobody wants to take – 30 shots in a game that sounds like a kevin durant quote, it wasn't man. kd it was a young guy uh it, they but it, it's i can't remember who it was now but i remember him saying yeah nobody wants to take 30 shots but you still got those old school cats like a <laughs> mellow who still thinks that he should take 30 shots i guarantee you mellow wants to take 30 shots. oh no doubt about it i guarantee you james harden has no problem taking 30 shots <laughs> what do you think about the boston celtics so we, we we're looking at them gordon hayward's back um they're fully healthy uh, what do you make of them? That's a deep, deep, deep team. That's 10 deep. Yeah, they're deep and they're versatile. Um, I still have some questions about how that lineup that they're trotting out there is going to work. Jason Tatum at the four, um, Gordon Hayward at the three, Jalen Brown. What I'm seeing, I'm seeing the same things from last year that they hadn't really learned from their mistakes. 
Jalen Brown still settling for too many threes. Kyrie still running around, dribbling the ball too much. Al Horford still doesn't look aggressive. Although it's only been three preseason games and we really hadn't seen it, I just really think that they're going to have to adjust to that. Jalen Brown has to start attacking the rim. All of them have to start attacking the rim. It can't just be Kyrie Irving going to the rim and everybody else sitting back watching. Jalen Brown and Tatum, they're going to have to get a lot more aggressive as going to the rim. I know Gordon Hayward will do it. He's probably just getting back in rhythm. But that team is going to have to attack. They're going to have to be the opposite of what I was talking about with the Lakers because teams will let them sit back and shoot all those threes, but they're going to have to attack the rim and then work it back outside. But I think it's going to be a dangerous team. They're going to be deep, and they're definitely the favorites to win the East. I'm curious to see how long they roll with that lineup. I think that eventually you'll see Jalen Brown move to the bench and that you'll see maybe a Marcus Morris or a power forward come in at the two, or excuse me, at the four, you bump Gordon Hayward up to the two, and then you let Tatum play his natural position at the three. Um, I'm curious. I think to Tatum's s- the one that comes off the bench. He's more of a natural scorer. Put him in there just to score the ball. And Jalen Brown's always going to be in there for defensive purposes. See, I think Tatum could end up being one of the 20 best players in the league in the next five years. I don't. I don't see him going to the bench. I mean, what he did with his minutes and what what Jalen Brown did with their minutes last year were two totally different things. I, I think I think that they're going to build the team around Jason Tatum, and I think well, that— you got to remember, last year for most of the year, when Kyrie was hurt, Jalen Brown was the go-to person. Tatum started to break out in the playoffs. Well, he hit the rookie wall, but his his second half of the season was good after even about in, March. Even in the playoffs, I think overall Jalen Brown probably had a better playoffs than Tatum. Tatum's more flashy when he does it. But Jalen Brown probably had a better overall playoff than Jason Tatum. Let me ask you this, though. When they were talking about all this Kawhi shit and him going to Boston, what was the one? who was the one untouchable? They were quick to give up Jalen Brown's ass. Oh, yeah, we'll give you Jalen, and we'll give you Rozier. Uh, what about Tatum? No, you can't have him. Can't do it. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's projecting towards the future. We all know that Tatum's going to be great, but also Tatum is going to need more development in his game. Like, I think... Brown is a a great three and D player. Right. But that's yeah, also I why he's that. gonna start. So I think that's why you keep Brown in the starting lineup because you know he's gonna be a three and D player. And if he develops the more, that's great. But Tatum, he's an all around scorer, and right now his defense hadn't caught up to his scoring. So you can easily bring Tatum off the bench and just let him come in with the second unit and be a pure scorer, and he'll be okay with that because he can do whatever he wants. He'll be in control. I mean, he's still going to play 30 minutes a game. I think that that, bringing Brown off the bench would hurt Brown more than it would hurt Tatum. I think Brown needs to start. He needs to establish himself. He needs to go fast. And with you having Marcus Smart on the bench, I think you need a person like Tatum to offset that. Tatum, Rozier, Marcus Smart is a lot better than Tatum, I mean, than Rozier, and um, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. I think you want that pure score to go be with that second unit. So we talked about the NFL product that's on the field right now, uh, or you know, on the TV right now. Let me ask you something. Um, can you remember a time where like the NBA preseason games were being showed as frequently on as many channels as they are, um, like their regular season games? No, I don't, but... You know, that's the takeover that I'm looking at. I mean, we both see it coming. We've both been talking about it. I think the NBA is on its way to taking over the NFL. And it's just that's how younger people are more attached to the NBA than they are the NFL. And I think more younger people are watching the NBA than they're watching the NFL. Even some older people are just watching the NFL more because of when it starts. And there's nothing there, and then the NFL is the only thing on. But once the NBA starts rolling, I know people that say, man, the NBA is a year-round sport. I'm just interested in the storylines are better. Just everything about the NBA is better, and I think it's primed to take over the NFL over the next five years. Mm, five years may be a little soon, but I agree with you. Um, the one thing that I, I'll notice is that, you know, I work – so I work from home, and, um, you know, I don't watch a lot of daytime TV, but if I'm eating lunch or something, I may I – may, throw on ESPN, just have something in the background and take my brain off work. But I notice there's really no hour-long NFL shows, like NFL Live or whatever it was. That, that That's on ESPN2 now. 
and the jump with Rachel Nichols, which by the way, if y'all haven't watched it, is outside next to Inside the NBA is my favorite NBA show. Um, but it's an hour during prime time, which is three o'clock, you know, prime daytime TV for whatever that is. But it's a great show, and they've extended to an hour, and it actually bumped NFL um, Live down, uh, or actually to to the the second channel. And I think that kind of shows you that, like you said, a lot of the younger generation is starting to follow the NBA more because the players are more marketable. Uh, it's a funner game. Everyone can kind of play that game, and parents are more willing to let their their players or their kids play basketball than they are football right now whether people believe that or not um but even with the technology how you view it they're so ahead of the game on how you view it like i remember i've been arguing for the last two years because i have the league pass and it'll kick in but i can't watch the preseason games so what they've changed is i still don't get those i still don't get those channels but i can watch it on the app now so i can watch almost any televised nba game I can watch through the NBA app. Now, I don't know if everybody can for free. I know I usually have League Pass. Maybe that's why I have access. But you may want to try just downloading the NBA app to see if you can watch or listen to a game. Now, some games are in, like, little podunk cities, so they're not being recorded. So they'll say nothing, no recordings available. But I've been able to watch almost every preseason game through the app. Now, one thing that that the NBA does that the NFL doesn't do um, is they will give you a week of uh, NBA League Pass free two times a year, um, yeah. which, I mean, it really is awesome. A week of, of, of free basketball is, is truly great. Um, and the NFL, don't, they don't offer shit for free. <laughs> so, and they also reduce the costs as the months go. So it's not the same cost. You're not having to pay 189 They have flexible packages. They I, Actually, I wanted to talk about this. They... They've also changed it where now you can watch just the fourth quarter of games for $1.99. So if you're on the NBA app and you're looking at the game and you see that the game's in the fourth quarter and it's a tight game, you're like, you know what, I want to watch that. You can pay $1.99 to just watch the fourth quarter of games. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. In terms of what the NBA has become, when you mentioned that it's become a a year-round sport, when the NFL, you know, you got to the draft and it was like, all right, you know, cool. You got that super, I kind of miss football. I want to see what my team's going to do. But after the draft, I mean, it was dead. It was dead till July. You didn't hear anything about it. You and I and, and really basketball fans have been talking about the NBA since the, since the Warriors lifted that trophy. Um, you know, you had a bunch of free agency movement. You had Kawhi getting traded. You had now the Jimmy Butler thing. You have, you know, it's just there's something to talk about every single day and every single week in the NBA. And as you said, or as I said, um, the NBA markets its players. And you're starting to find that the younger generations aren't attached to teams like you and I growing up and our our parents were, right? Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, attached to players. Yeah, I've been, I've been a... I've been a Lakers fan since 1970, or I've been a Knicks fan since 1950, and you just don't see that anymore. Now it's but I uh, think LeBron changed that too. LeBron, he definitely did. He he's the one that changed that, and then Durant kind of made it, kind of pushed it along. But uh, to go with the season long, the year round season for the NBA, the reason that is is because the NBA just seems way smarter than the NFL on how they strategically put things together. Almost to the fact that I heard that they're talking about changing the NFL offseason to be more like the NBA. Because having a having your free agency before the NFL draft is kind of dumb. Makes no sense. You overpay a guy in free agency, and then you get then a guy falls to you in that spot, and then you end up drafting that guy. So now you have one overpaid dude and a dude that you just spent the first round pick on. It makes no sense. So they're talking about rearranging that. But the fact that the NBA Finals ends in June, then after it ends, like a week later, the draft happens. Then after the draft, free agency happens. It's, per- it's perfect. Yep. It leads all the way to where you have. And then after the draft, you have Summer League in July. So the only months that you're really without basketball is August. August and September. Yep. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Then October preseason. And then they even cut that down. The thing that the NFL talks about, cutting their preseason down, is what the NBA did. Cut their preseason down two weeks. It used to start on October 30th. Now it's starting mid-October. Yep. And still lasts the same way. Yep. 
and it's just, they're just so much ahead of the curve. They're they're a smart league for a reason. I think that the transition to um, Adam Silver was a great. He's I think he's the best commissioner in sports. Whereas I think that the NFL is just it's one of those things, man, where it, you have just old. You know the the NBA is younger as far as the ownership goes. They're more willing to adapt, and you know. The NFL is just not that way. You got old money. All the owners are in their 70s, 60s. Stubborn. stubborn. Well, this is what we did, and this is how we got here. And that's just not what the NBA is. And, you know, I, I really think that the I, – I, I agree with you. I think that the NBA in the next 5, 10, 15 years is going to be looked at as the number one sport, not only in America, but, I mean, globally it's just a massive game. I mean, eh, it'll never overtake soccer globally. But um, definitely it'll be the number one sport in America. Yeah, but I mean, the markets that they're penetrating now and that they're focusing on, um, it gives them a chance to at least compete with soccer because, I mean, they're huge in China. They're huge in China. Well, the, they're probably bigger in China than they are in America. The one thing I want to say before we get out of here is just talk about that for a second is that you, you realize that I think, and I think you and I have said this on the pod before, but I think that the better, that the better athletes are going to start to play soccer and they're going to start to play um, basketball. I mean, you look at the, the money that these guys are getting paid, uh, whether it be LeBron making $300 million over four years, whether it be, uh, you know, all these all these soccer stars that are making $100 you know, million dollars over two years or whatever the case may be, baseball players are going to start making $400 million. You, and then you look over at the NFL – and these guys, you, you look at the, the whether people realize it or not, people are looking at this Earl Thomas situation. People are looking at yeah, this uh, Le'Veon Bell situation, on that too. and they're gonna say, "Man, these dudes put their heart and soul on, on the field, and, and they these guys are making fourteen million dollars." Yeah, and you know the biggest thing about basketball that people don't know is that there's a huge shoe war that goes on underneath the surface. Some surface, some of these guys are making more from their shoe contracts than they are from their NBA contract, which may sound ridiculous to some people because their NBA contracts are like guaranteed $100 million contracts, but they could be making $30 million off their shoe contracts where their shoe contracts is their actual job and the NBA is like the side hustle. Yeah. And and you kind of see that play out a lot of times. These guys aren't on the court arguing about there, – there was this article, a big deal, about how Ken Bazemore um, wrapped up and brought in Steph Curry that started this big Under Armour versus Nike war uh, between the players. So that shoe thing is big, and it's also big for the players because that's just more revenue that you can get because your face is out there, and you're being marketed as the player – now that makes your, you know, your your business more profitable. So there's more avenues to make money, not only in basketball, also outside of basketball. To go along with the fact that they protect their retired players and they make sure that they have money better than the NFL. Oh, so, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's just not so even many comparison. better. It's just the NBA yeah. vets your 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 investment um, opportunities. They, I mean, they do all that for you because they do not want their athletes going broke. Um, and honestly, you're going to see a lot more situations. I know this is different uh, because it's a different sport, but you look at Kyler Murray. I mean, kids are going to are going to look at that and say, this dude could go play. For, I mean, let's face it. Kyler Murray probably doesn't have much of an NFL feature. He's not the biggest dude in the world. But, you know, how many kids are going to say, well, hell, I mean, I just got drafted in the first round by by the Oakland A's or, or whomever it was. Man, I'm going to play baseball. I don't have to take this beating. I don't have to worry about my AC. My knees getting blown out. You know, my brain getting rolled, rattled around. I think that, like I said, you're going to start to see that this is becoming a little bit more common. That, especially if the NBA moves to where you can draft out of high school, I yeah. think you're going to see it's coming. The D League's coming too. The D League's about to be more like a minor league, like baseball. Also, yep. they're fixing it right now. So the NBA people scoff at that. Oh, well, you can predict who's going to win the league every year, and that might be the case. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good product because people still want to see. People like to watch Dynasty rise, rise, yes. and they like to watch them fall. They love the controversy. They love the Warriors. As much as you hate the Warriors, you love the Warriors because oh, yeah. that makes you watch. You want, you want someone to be beaten. You want Floyd Mayweather in boxing. You want someone that people hate. They want to see them lose. But so yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I want to touch on Kyler. Just I know we're about running short for time, but I think Kyler Murray might be pushing to be a two-sport athlete in the professionals. 
Uh, I, you may not have watched him, but watch him this weekend in this Red River rivalry. And I think Baker Mayfield may have opened the door for some smaller quarterbacks. Kyler's a star, man, in uh, not just his running ability, but his passing from the pocket and the way he makes his decisions. I'm starting to believe that Kyler's an NFL quarterback, and he could push for to be a two-sport athlete. Because if he's as good as they say in baseball, I don't think they tell him no. I mean, if you're good as Bo Jackson, you're as good as Deion Sanders, they're not going to tell you no for long. Yeah, but I, you know how the NFL is. The NFL is not going for that. I mean, they, they you know, Andrew Luck, you know, hurt his shoulder skiboarding, and they were pissed. That they, they thought about suing him because he went snowboarding or whatever the skiboarding. Russell Wilson <laughs> plays baseball in the offseason. And a lot of he teams goes to spring like training. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure Russell Wilson, if he doesn't still do it, he was doing it. He was going to spring training in the uh, not spring. Was it spring training? Spring training. I guess yeah, it would be. Right. Yeah, yep. he was going to spring training in the off season. So I mean, it's possible. Football and baseball don't. Now you'll miss some games early. Like right now, you may not be in the NFL season. You may meet miss three or four weeks of the NFL season because you're in the baseball playoffs. I mean, that'll be the one thing. What is it? Week five in NFL yep well but yeah you're talking about if you go far in the playoffs you're not talking about joining your team till week seven or eight yeah now, that's the quarterback position so that's the difference so yeah I'm just saying I mean that kid's a star he's good at football too I haven't seen him in baseball but he's he was the number seven overall pick for a reason so yeah um all right man that's it that's all again if uh you like the show hit subscribe also I want to shout out to a podcast I was featured on this week, uh, the Convoluted Podcast with, uh, his name is Jesus, and he goes by Tyrus Dominant. I, I butchered that, but his link will be in the bio, so if you're into convoluted stories or just chaos in general, you'll have to check out that podcast. As far as our podcast goes, Beatty, hit him with it. Yep, you can catch, check us out on Instagram, at two smart dummies the number two smart dummies d-u-m-m-i-e-s also two smart dummies on twitter and smart dummies two on gmail i think marcus is in the process of making a facebook he should be so you'll be catching us on there next week we'll get the russian bots to spam you all so you'll follow us you'll hear (laughs) us somewhere that's it that's all peace all right y'all peace